Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. This is Know It All. Welcome back to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. We apologize for the technical difficulties. Apparently, Blog Talk Radio was experiencing some uh, outages, um, so we apologize for the earlier mix-up. But we are excited again to get started. Um, As you know, we aim to make you know-it-alls about education law, policy, and practice that affect you. We are live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern or at any time from your computer. I am, an, I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, and I am a featured host on the Blog Talk Radio website. Remember to follow us at blogtalkradio.com. I'm a civil rights attorney with a focus on equity and public education. You can keep up with me at my website, www.allisonbrownconsulting.com. My guest today, again, is Daniel Del Pielago, an education organizer for Empower DC here in Washington. And we will talk today about what grassroots activism is and how it makes a difference for education in this country. Good morning again, Daniel. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So I I want you to start again and and tell us um, what it is that makes grassroots activism today unique and how it is different from what we know of the 50s and 60s when uh, grassroots activism, civil disobedience, and marching in the streets and protests were what brought us the 1964 Civil Rights Act and the Brown versus Board 1954 uh, Supreme Court decision. What What is modern-day education-focused grassroots work? Well, um, it, you know, um, as I had mentioned earlier, um, we stand on the shoulders of people who risk their lives to get us to where we are today. Um, and we continue in that tradition. Um, you know, we have a lot more technology nowadays. We have all of the social media, the computers and all of that, uh, which are used uh, to our advantage. You know, they can certainly get the word out, uh, inform people that, um, you know, just may not be easy to reach. Um, but also, um you know, we continue in that tradition. We continue to do the things uh, that folks have done in the past. And, um, you know, I think uh, what we're seeing now, the situation that we're in now, and we're seeing it happen again we're in Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, uh, here in the district, we're seeing this move back towards uh, these tactics that, that helped us in the past, this, uh, you know, having some very clear demands and putting action behind those demands. Um, so, you know, we still use those tools today. Um, we definitely need to, uh, you know, have a broader analysis of, of what's going on, how we can use the tools that are available uh, in the modern day. 
Um, so coupling um, both of those um, viewpoints um, is very helpful in the work that we do today. Mm-hmm. And many people know that the, the president was a community organizer after he finished law school. Um, is is community organizing and um, grassroots activism, is that synonymous or are they different? I think they are similar. I think they exist in in both worlds. Um, you know, organizing is more of um, working, to me, um, how I try to look at organizing is working with groups of people, uh, working with communities, neighborhoods, uh, organized group of people, um, Activism is can be an individual thing, right? Individuals taking action, uh, tying into bigger movements. Um, but we want to make sure that our work uh, doesn't just focus on the individual activist. Uh, what we want to do is to be able to um, develop the capacity uh, for folks to, to, to be organized uh, and to have that people power uh, that can help put strength behind their demands. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Brown versus Board, your work and the work that Empower DC is doing is directly in line with the work that we saw from the civil rights movement. Why do you think that we still need a movement in education today? I think it's, you know, um, at least the way we are looking at the world or the way that we see the world, um, we are in a very similar situation uh, that we were in the 50s and the 60s. Um, You know, we are seeing communities of color being targeted um, around school closures. Uh, It's primarily or disproportionately uh, affecting uh, communities of color. That's the work that we've been engaging in. Um, but we see the all-out attack. You know, we see the budgets being cut. Um, we're seeing all of these issues um, that are very reminiscent of, of what was going on in the 50s and 60s and, you know, 70s and 80s as well. I recently was reading um, an analysis that, uh, uh, and, and I'll put it out to your um, audience if they're interested, there's a uh, gentleman named Stephen J. Diner, um, who wrote several um, pieces? I think I forgot what body of government he was with, but he was with DC, uh, a DC government office. Um, but they were doing analysis of the public uh, school uh, system, and he wrote a piece in 1983, I believe, on the loss of faith in public education. Um, so you know, it, it was. I, I read it, and and I was just thinking, wow, we only have to change the dates because we are in very similar, in a very similar environment. Um, so I think given that we are uh, under these major threats where uh, racism, where uh, discrimination is rearing its ugly head uh, more prominently, because it, it never really has gone away, but it is uh, being very prominent and boldly uh, put out there. Um, so we do need to, to, to continue in following this tradition, adapt uh, to the modern day, um, but to keep this going because, uh, you know, the, what we are seeing right now is an all-out attack on public education. Um, Here in the district, uh, you know, it could be very likely that a traditional public school system um, will not exist in the near future. I know that is a threat um, around the country. Um, And we want to make sure um, that we uh, preserve that. And, of course, we have to better our public education system. Nobody's saying that we should keep it as is. Um, But we do want to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, public education remains a public good. Mhm. Mhm. And you said earlier that organizing is an art form. 
Is that what you said? Yes, that's what I've been taught. It's an art form. Mm-hmm. It's a science. You know, it's. It, I think for those of us who know organizing, it can it can really be romanticized, right? Like these group mm-hmm. of people doing all this awesome stuff, and it is. There is, you know, you do get that, but it does take a lot of work. Uh, it, it is a science. You know, you have to have. Um, uh, work plan. You have to know w- what's going on. You have to build the capacity of folks to be able to take action. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it really is an art form. And when you do it right, and when communities are are working in in a correct way, um, you can definitely see the fruits of their labor. Mm-hmm. And you know, getting getting communities involved in what's happening in their in their um, respective worlds, and and um, connecting them with one another is. is vitally important as we're seeing more and more of a kind of systemic approach to education reform and institutions coming in um, to to create um, public education or or education that um, is being touted as public education on behalf of communities. So what specific activities um, do you do that are, uh, that qualifies grassroots activism. Sure. So we do. We take on several activities. Um, you know, uh, kind of the traditional route. We we're definitely out in the streets. Um, when we heard, and I'll just kind of give some examples. When we heard about the the um, slated school closures uh, announcement, uh, or schools that were slated for closure, rather. Um, you know, we went out there, we developed a flyer that, that had the pertinent information uh, that was easily accessible, um, and we went out to all of the schools uh, that were slated for closure. We talked uh, on an individual level with folks out there in front of the schools, collected their contact information, uh, followed up with them. One of the tools in organizing that is very important is what's called the one-on-one, um, because really the way we build power and build strength uh, in community is through strengthening relationships. Um, so we have to build relationships with those folks that we want to work with. I, you know, I personally, uh, you know, don't live in those neighborhoods, so I just can't come in and say, "Hey, I'm here to save this." I really want them to know me as a person, and vice versa, so we can work, um, you know, on a, on a stronger uh, level. Um, so we engage in in those types of uh, activities initially. Um, then we begin to do meetings. Uh, we, you know, we do several meetings. We have a thing uh, here at Empower DC, the organization I work with, uh, that we call empowerment circles. Um, we're on a monthly um, basis. We are having uh, meetings uh, around pertinent issues. Um, and at those meetings, we, you know, develop a clearer analysis of what's going on, so we can begin to build uh, a strategic work plan. Right? What? What? Who is the target for what? Uh, you know, who who can give us what we need? Um, and we develop the tactics that we, um, you know, will need to take in order to get us closer to our towards our goal. Um, but as I mentioned, I think all of this really does revolve around building strong relationships. We see that. Uh, less and less um, as folks uh, relate to government or to these entities um, that are, um, you know, basically setting up what happens within education here in the district. Uh, We don't see those personal relationships. Everything is, you know, done at a very uh, separate uh, kind of way. Uh, So we definitely want to instill that it takes a group of us, it takes many of us uh, to move something. And building relationships is at the core of that. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk specifically about what's, what's going on in D.C. Um, in a little bit, but I wonder if you would speak kind of large picture, big picture. What do you hope 
as you're you, you know you're out in the streets and you're putting together flyers with information and you're you're developing the empowerment circles, what do you hope your activities will achieve? Sure. So you know I think we have. Um, Specific goals, we have the goals, you know, we want to keep this school open or we want more money invested in this budget. We have those type of goals uh, that we definitely want to be able to meet. Um, I think overall as uh, Empower DC, you know what, um, and I'll just get, kind of read verbatim here one of our uh, our, our mission uh, is uh, our mission is to enhance, improve, and promote the self-advocacy of low and moderate-income DC residents residents in order to bring out bring about sustained improvements in their quality of life. Now that's a mouthful, um, but you know how I interpret that or how I see my work is that we need to prepare communities for whatever is coming up, right? So through these campaigns of uh stopping a school closure or or you know getting more money for um uh, uh, uh to fix the school uh folks uh through that experience learn the necessary techniques to be prepared for whatever is ahead um because the communities we work with um you know are faced with many challenges um so the more that uh we can give a clear picture of what's going on what it takes uh, to ha to move things here in the district uh, for low income, moderate income residents of color, um, you know we want to make sure that they have a toolkit to be prepared to fight uh, for whatever is out there because there's a lot uh, a lot of other issues that we're faced with. Mm-hmm. And other than than flyers, handing out flyers and knocking on doors, how is it that you reach out to community members and others to get them involved in what you're doing? Sure. So, you know, a, a big key a piece of our work is leadership development. So through the outreach that we do, you know, um, we take note of where is the resistance? Are there people that are willing to take that step up um, and, and fight for what's needed? Um, so through that, we work with individuals to, you know, uh, simple things initially, right, like how to uh, do outreach, how you yourself as somebody living in a neighborhood being affected by an issue, how can you go out there and talk to folks about this issue, uh, how do you you know? Let's create a sign-in sheet so you can uh, collect that information, uh, and then we move into kind of bigger pieces, right? How to um, how would you host a meeting? Uh, you know what what's the key uh, to running a good meeting? How can you develop the goals um, that are necessary? How do you in it, how do you facilitate a meeting? in order to get uh, wide input from the community in which you live in. Um, and then, you know, really just supporting folks in the direction they want to move. Some folks want to be really kind of out there and, and saying and, and speaking up on behalf of their community. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of work to develop the skills that are necessary for that. Uh, and we also have a lot of folks that want to be low-key, that want to be, you know, the lead uh, for doing outreach, uh, that want to do research, that want to take on other tasks. Uh, so it really is supporting um, the the gifts that folks have individually and developing anything that they may uh, be curious or, or uh, interested in following up with. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Ashan Johnson has, has captured a lot of hearts and minds recently. Um, he is the nine-year-old student in Chicago who spoke so passionately and eloquently in defense of his school, which is slated for closure. How are the youth involved in your work at Empower DC? 
Yeah, I, and I just want to say I was uh, that video, you know, actually made me cry. I was tearing up when I saw yeah. it because you know we're faced with such heavy work, you know, and at times mm-hmm. it seems that we are really challenged. But when that young young man stood up on that chair and started speaking. It really did kind of say, okay, there, that, that that next generation is here. Those, those yeah. other organizers, those folks that have an interest in in keeping this movement going, are there. Um, but what we try to do with with youth is, you know, um, I, I to be honest, I like to have meetings um, that are multi uh, multi generational, uh, where parents and students are sitting to, together. Um, that can be tough, and you know, there there are certain times when uh, Spaces for each groups, right? For students, for parents, are necessary. Um, but as we are faced with challenges that affect all of us, I think it does make sense um, at certain key times to have youth represented here um, in doing our work. I know at the school level, it uh, you know when we would do outreach and and we would have the parents start leading the outreach. The the a lot of times the workers or the you know the people that knew best what was going on at the school. Uh, and the issues and how to talk to the other students and parents were the the students themselves, right? Um, so mm-hmm. we would definitely have them, um, you know, help us with that. I think it helps us to inform on, you know, what what is it really that we're working for, right? What what do these young young people want? Because a, a, a lot of the times, uh, you know, we get we know there are certain issues, but we don't uh, take the time to really uh, talk to those that are really directly affected, and that of course is the students. Um, so student voice is critical to us. Um, we recently had uh, a, a meeting we called a State of the Schools, uh, or excuse me, uh, Save Our Schools Summit, um, where we had a student uh, from Bruce Monroe, uh, who, which was closed, it used to be located on Georgia Avenue, uh, speak to how it affected his, uh, him and his peers. And it was powerful to hear, you know, this nine-year-old young young man uh, talk about everything that, you know, us wonky organizers and, you know, data people and lawyers and such always try to, you know, to, to advocate for somebody else. It was great to hear this young man say it in some very basic terms, um, but, uh, you know, it, it delivered a powerful message. So um, getting the youth uh, voice in, in, in the work that we do is critical. Um, Empower DC has been working along with other organizations at a national level. We are called the Journey for Justice Alliance, um, and you know, having a youth voice ground us and, and really uh, focus in our work has been tremendously helpful. And you know, uh, and we have some very strong youth leaders, um, you know, that sit there shoulder to shoulder uh, with their um, adult peers. Um, in 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 order to uh, develop plans on how we fight back against the issues we're faced with. Mm-hmm. So there have been a lot of um, issues that have made national news lately, including the school closures here in D.C. and the school closures in Chicago and elsewhere, um, conversion of the New Orleans system to essentially an all-charter system, um, and and recently also standardized testing has been in the news, and you've had walk out by students who have said, you know, we're not going to take these tests because they are too burdensome. They they carry, it's fine to assess where students are, but they carry too much in terms of um, punitive measures for students and now for teachers. Um, You know, there was a teacher walkout in Seattle as well and and in other cities. Um, 
why are these actions by the people that are actually in the school building, so the teachers and the students, why are they so important to bringing attention to what's happening in education reform? Yeah, I you know, what I think is happening right now is that, you know, for the past couple of years um, here in the district since 2007, we've been under mayoral control. So there has been a definite, uh, you know, what's being titled or called corporate education reform. Um, that's been around for a little bit now. We, we've seen uh, what they have tried to do and what it has yielded. And what we see right now is that it's not helping our communities. It's a, as you say, it's burdensome. Uh, test scores are a very narrow measure um, that have some very big results, right? Those test scores um, can set up a school for closure, for, uh, you know, firing all of the teachers, um, several of these um, um, you know, restart kind of programs that they have in, in education. So, you know, folks are being faced with, with many issues, and, and and what we have to do is raise our voices and take action, and we're seeing that. You know, for, for a young person uh, to get up and walk out of their school, that, that that's a big step. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen that, uh, you know, in recent history. We haven't seen that on the level that we saw as we spoke of in the past. Uh, so I think it's very important for us to to, to know that that's happening, uh, to lift that up, to share with others, uh, in hopes that it inspires us to grow this movement of uh, saving our public education here um, in our country, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about D.C. Um, yeah. Our listeners are all over the country, um, but there are many characteristics of the, the educational landscape here in D.C. that are similar in other urban areas. Um, other cities are experiencing very similar patterns, um, Philadelphia and Chicago, uh, just to name a couple. And Empower DC has filed suit against DC public schools on behalf of, of children and, and families here in DC um, for the school chancellor's plan to close schools. Will you talk about that lawsuit and, and why you chose to use the court? Sure, sure. So as um, if for folks who may not know, here in the District of Columbia, um, 15 schools are slated for closure. Um, those schools are primarily in neighborhoods, uh, communities of color. Uh, low-income communities uh, are being disproportionately affected. Um, there isn't one single school closure or school action in Ward 3, the city's most affluent, and uh, you can make an argument for the widest ward, ward in the District of Columbia. Um, so uh, given that, that we knew that we, you know, on face value, we know that these school closures are discriminatory. Uh, our city council, there is nobody on our city council that has stepped up and taken leadership and said, hey, you know, th- there's a cycle here happening in the District of Columbia because they recently closed in 2007 under Michelle Ree, they closed uh, 23 schools. Uh, now they are closing 15 more. So if that doesn't say that something is wrong uh, and something is going on, um, you know something needs to be done. And we haven't seen anybody on our city, uh, on our city council, take any sort of leadership on this to, to to stop what's what's happening and to take a look and to evaluate what we really need to do, instead of just washing our hands of uh, these schools um, that are under enrolled or underperforming. It's, uh, we feel that it's lazy leadership. Uh, now that because of these school closures that have been in very recent history, um, you know, I think there is a, a little bit of a loss of hope here in, in the district, in a sense, right? Um, there are folks that 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 don't um, 
necessarily see um, the value in, in in trying to fight this. Although there is, you know, we're working on 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 building on on the group that we're working with uh, folks that are fighting for education. I think nonetheless. That that is a reality. There is a, a not as much energy as could be in, uh, out there. Um, the mayor and the chancellor are dead set on closing more schools. So we really uh, looked at at the at the courts as a viable option for fighting the school closures. That coupled with the work that we're doing in the community, the organizing uh, work, uh, we felt could be uh, something that, that worked for us. Uh, a lot of our, our base, our members, were saying that we needed a lawsuit. Uh, so we decided to, to file one. Um, you know, we uh, retained uh, Johnny Barnes, uh, the former director of the ACLU here in the district, uh, and he's, you know, helped us in, in another lawsuit we filed against the city uh, in, in Ivy City here in the district uh, around another issue. Um, but, you know, we really felt that it was necessary uh, to to uh, to use it as a tactic to push back against this narrative um, that we have to close schools to bring out the fact that these school closures are discriminatory um, and we're seeing the result of that um, happen not 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 just here in the district but I think uh, you know uh, Chicago uh, the, the Chicago Teachers Union has filed two lawsuits similar to ours. Um, and it is bringing national attention to this. We recently saw an article in, I believe it was either Time Magazine or some sort of Time uh, website thing, um, where they asked the questions, are school closures discriminatory? And, uh, you know, I think that that's key. I think we're starting to see a little bit of a, a broadening analysis of what's going on, right? We, we, we've had the time to see that um, the, these past efforts haven't really yielded anything that's benefited our communities um, so we're hoping to, to keep it going. Now, the judge did not grant us the injunction we were seeking, um, but we will continue on with the lawsuit. And what do you say, um, as, as new um, charters are approved, new charter schools are approved in D.C. and, and the public schools are being closed, how does what is the argument for that and and how is the community as you are gazing the community responding to that yeah so you know here in the district uh, where the the number of charters um i guess per capita are only second to uh new orleans uh you know we have a big concentration of charter schools and we continue to see the growth of charter schools um and we continue to see the loss of our public schools um, so that is a big issue. As as the charter school sector grows, it draws away students, uh, which in turn draws away resources from our public schools. Um, so it, that is a big issue. Now, we, you know, we don't have an issue with specific charters because, you know, there's great charter schools. There's not so great charter schools just as that there are great public schools and great and not so great public schools. Um, but I think what we have to do is figure out what's going on because we're seeing this uncontrolled growth that really is, uh, you know, uh, causing uh, the demise of the public school system. Um, and what we also have to be wary of, which I believe is, you know, we recently saw the move of the D.C. Public Charter School Board uh, to expedite granting charters for, you know, for for charter operators with proven track records. Uh, so they'll, uh, what's going to begin to happen is they're going to be, uh, you know, these 
bigger kind of ch charter chains are going to start coming into the District of Columbia. We already have KIPP that's big. Um, they are uh, planning or have granted a charter to rocket ship uh, charter organization, which plans on serving up to 6,000 students in the District of Columbia. Um, so given that, we could also see the loss of our homegrown charter schools, you know. Um, so it, it is very troubling. I think the, the push behind this really is privatization. It is taking uh, public dollars out of uh, public hands, out of public oversight, and putting them into private uh, hands. Um, you know, charter schools do receive public funds, um, but they operate privately. Um, so that is another big issue um, that we have with this, is just the loss of public oversight um, over uh, what happens within these schools. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, um, as we're thinking about, you know, massive uh, school closures and um, creation of brand new schools, charter schools um, in different neighborhoods, one thing that uh, Sean Johnson, the nine-year-old boy from Chicago, and other communities have voiced is that they're seems to be little concern for safety, student safety. Um, I know that there are students in D.C. who, because of decades-long neighborhood beef, cannot travel in certain parts of the city without fear of physical harm. And there are certain schools, high schools especially, that are maybe dominated by one neighborhood over another. And when you close a school and put children, um, students from different neighborhoods that, that don't get along in the facility, then you've got a recipe for um, some some potentially bad things to happen. Um, how does that fit into the work that you are doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, more and more what we're seeing is that young people have to travel a lot further uh, to have access to an education. Um, and yeah, this perpetuates this instability, this uh, loss of faith in, in in the public schools. You know, if you have to get into a neighborhood where you know there may be beef, as it's called out there, um, you know, it, it's definitely going to affect uh, the student, the family, uh, truancy. You know, we expect that you know truancy is going to 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 go up. Uh, it it is a very real issue. Um, I remember when we started doing this work initially. Uh, we went out and we were interviewing folks and we went to the Anacostia Metro Station. And we talked to a young man uh, who had recently graduated high school and we told him about the plan to close more schools and we said, what do you think is going to happen? And, you know, straight out without having heard too much else, he said, there's going to be a lot of violence. He says, mm -hmm. if these people, if these folks are, you know, going to be, uh, neighborhoods are going to be mixed, um, there are going to be issues at hand. And I think that's part of, of, uh, the loss of community input that we see. Um, everything seems to be um, determined by numbers and data, and that certainly has its place, um, but we lose the human uh, touch, uh, just like Ashan was speaking of, right? Um, we lose uh, the input from, the, from people that are directly affected um, that, that really know what will happen if these things are enacted. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is very troublesome here in the district that we are starting to see uh, this loss of walkable neighborhood schools, and there really are no supports to make sure that these issues, um, you know, don't blow up when you're mixing. You know, they're, they're talking about closing Spingarn High School. That's planned for closure. Uh, students are going to be sent to several different high schools. Um, so that could be a very big issue. 
um, you know, with as you mentioned, folks from from different blocks, from different neighborhoods, um, being put on, under one roof without any real plan of how that's going to happen, uh, and, and to um, make sure that you know there are no no violence uh, ensues from it. Um, it, it, it is very worrisome. Mm-hmm. So, what are what are the answers? What <laughs> what do you think? Uh, what, even thinking through the the litigation, the lawsuit that you filed. Mm-hmm. What are the remedies that you seek? What what do you see that we want to do instead? Sure. So, you know, our our lawsuit is calling for a moratorium on school closures. It, it, we are not, uh, you know, totally saying that no school should ever close. I think what we are saying is it should be under community control, whatever happens, and that's at the crux of all of this. I think we need the moratorium on school closures and school actions right now just to evaluate what's happened, right? If it's not working, why are we continuing to do the same thing? And it and it is very granular work. I don't think there is any, you know, I don't think I have any specific answers. Um, I think uh, at, the, at the basis it is getting communities involved, and that's something that we don't see uh, happen often. You know, uh, DCPS made its decision about school closures um, by contracting, uh, you know, some uh, advisors or whatever you call these folks. Uh, They had this group, ERS Strategy, I believe they're called, help them to make uh, some decisions on, you know, what to do, Uh, and they suggested closing schools. David Catania is talking to a law firm, Uh, you know, he's the the council member who uh, heads up the education committee. Education committee. He's been talking to to lawyers, you know. Um, so we we really haven't seen a concerted effort of uh, doing some really granular work and figuring out what uh, you know the communities literally in the school need, but also in the surrounding uh, area of where the school sits of what what it's really going to take uh, to fix the schools because we really all have uh, different issues. Um, at the crux of a lot of this is poverty, though. We we we. You know, a lot of the narrative is having this, you know, great teacher, which we agree with, um, but that, uh, you know, a great teacher is simply not going to solve the the, the issues that poverty and, you know, a history of inequality in this country have yielded uh, us. So we really do need to look at at the issue of poverty, how it affects um, our young people, how we can alleviate uh, those symptoms. Uh, so they can so they can be more productive and opening and open um you know to going attending and excelling in school mhm i agree with you i think you know um really taking the temperature of communities is so important um you know it it may very well be as kaya henderson who is the chancellor here in dc um has said that that the resources that are expended to keep schools open um, may be prohibitive, may be cost prohibitive for the district. That may be true. Um, but with a true community assessment, then the research that also says that school closures actually um, hurt student achievement for the, the students who are in the schools that have closed, um, and even for the schools, the students in the schools that absorb those students, um, and, and other research that really kind of touches on the, the social-emotional learning of the children who are in the schools that close um, should also be taken into account, and, and with that, then communities can be involved in creating community centers and, and creating other centers within the school building that will support them and meet their needs 
especially for those who are who are living in poverty. I think that that is a very important point. Um, so the show is about cooperative grassroots activism. I think that um, that's an aspect of, of grassroots organization and, and grassroots work that um, people don't necessarily know about. Um, will you talk, Daniel, about how you involve educators and administrators and others in what you do? Sure, sure, yeah. And that's actually, you know, uh, uh, it can be a touchy subject in a sense that, you know, uh, teachers, staff um, fear reprisal. And I think, you know, that's a, a very real fear. Um, and it, and it and it's out there, right? If, if you step up and, and speak out, you know, certain things could happen to you. Uh, your contract may not be renewed. You may get excess, uh, things along those lines. Um, but regardless of that, you know, we have a, you know, we, we, we make sure and we message at all of our meetings that, you know, we are, uh, these education issues affect the whole city. Um, so every segment of the city should be involved. So we do create a space uh, for teachers. Uh, you know, we have several retired teachers, uh, teachers that have been accessed from the previous administration um, working with us. And uh, the benefit of that is, you know, they can really give us uh, the analysis of, of what it is to, to you know, to, to see what's going on inside of the schools and what to look out for. Um, but also to, to, you know, to, you know, they are on the front lines. They see students and te- and, and parents every day. Um, so they they are a great vehicle in helping us to spread the word to to have a further reach uh, within the school. Um, I think it's key uh, that we have strong relationships with teachers. And to, to, you know, to really kind of dispel this narrative that's out there that teachers are there to get a paycheck, you know, they join the union so they won't get fired. Um, no, that's not true. And, you know, we have great teachers that are involved in the communities um, where their schools sit, with the families, with the students, um, and we need to uplift that. We need to make sure that... Um, you know, I mean, it's almost a trite saying, but, you know, we're constantly uh, separated uh, to, to to be conquered, right, to, to, to be confused, and so we, we're not allowed to work together. Um, so we really do try to work cooperatively. We try to bring in uh, the viewpoint of, of different segments and see where, you know, where is it that we agree? Uh, where can we work together, and, 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 let's, and let's go and do that. Now, let, let's continue to work together. Daniel Del Pielago is an education organizer for Empower DC in Washington. Find out more about them at www.empowerdc.org. Thank you for joining me, Daniel. Oh, thank you. You are now officially certified know-it-alls about grassroots activism in education. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education, on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter and ABC on Facebook. And read my blog at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. 
Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.